What's up, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the All-Star Comics Podcast, powered by Horizon Comics. I am your host, Jonathan Cote. Joining me on the panel tonight are... Nick Cantrell. Roger May. Larry Douglas. And producing from his safe space is Johnny Morales. Say what's up, Johnny. What's up? We fired Matt. No, Matt's in Seattle. We miss you, Matt. Hope Matt's you're having, having fun. Matt's having a blast. Yeah. <laughs> if you're following his Instagram, he's, yeah. he's everywhere in Seattle right now. <laughs> Did he uh, do the underground tour? They were going to. I okay. haven't I haven't seen any 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 uh, posts that look like it was specifically for that, but I know he was bummed because we'll they went to um, where where is it that the Seahawks play? They weren't doing tours. He oh, was like, the, um, yeah, the stadium arena. up there. Yeah. yeah, he was bummed because that was closed, or they weren't doing tours. So, oh well, is I'm sure. Dark Horse up there is Dark Horse from no, Seattle. No, no, Portland, Portland. Okay. Yeah, oh, gotcha. okay. Cool. It's the same thing, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's north of here. <laughs> it's not California. <laughs> yeah. um, lots of coffee, grunge music scene, and and lots of homeless people, <laughs> and and some actual green. Sorry, yeah. right? And rain, and, and green. lots of rain. Yeah. Anyway, uh, if this is the first time you ever listen to the show, we are a spoilery podcast, so we're probably going to ruin the endings of some things, maybe depending on how we feel. Might save you a few bucks. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Um, <laughs> that's a Marvel jab for those of you that didn't catch that. Um, I, I realized that after I said it, I almost started crying. <laughs> uh, we typically review a DC book, an indie book, and a Marvel book. We'll do a graphic novel. We'll have some excellent trivia, probably because Larry is on the show tonight. Uh, and I'm thinking we have some pretty good questions. We have. Yeah, I know I've, got, I've got a couple already. I've got a couple. All right, sweet. Um, so yeah, without further ado, Larry pitches the DC book. All right. So I'm pitching Batman the Merciless, one of the metal tie-in one-shots. So in a world of the dark multiverse, Earth negative 12, Batman and Wonder Woman defeat Ares in a final war to bring peace to their planet. But when Batman puts on Ares' helmet... He comes to the conclusion that maybe he's been too just, too merciful, and he needs another way of doing things. Ooh. And that is what the merciless is all about. Larry, you said you were a teacher, but you should be working on radio. <laughs> that's a, that's I a, am. <laughs> right that's now. a great pitch. <laughs> yeah. We'll work for comics. Yes, <laughs> right. indeed. As a matter of fact, I do. <laughs> Every Tuesday. I don't know why Roger actually ex- we like exchange money because I give it right back to yeah. him I know. the next day. It all just goes into Roger's pocket anyway. Well, that's what I think on those rough days when the kids are giving me a hard time. It's like, oh, I'm earning comic money right here. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, um, I so fun story. Um, I went home. I read this uh, on Tuesday. And I came back Tuesday afternoon and Roger hadn't read anything yet. He was getting ready to read it. And I was like, oh, I'm going to wait. I was like, I want to see what you think of that final page. Because I told Roger that um, I've I've loved every single one of these um, Dark Knights one shots. Excuse me. And um, each one I keep thinking like, man, that's really messed up. How could they get like darker? Man, that's really messed up. How could they? How could they? And this one was just like one of those ones where I, I don't think it's as dark as like, say, the Dawnbringer or Dawn, Dawnbringer, excuse me, Dawnbreaker. Yeah. But man, it's. Yeah, you really get a gut punch yeah. on the last page. And I, I dug the heck out of it. Plus, it's by Pat uh, Patrick. I'm thinking of the Superman title. It's uh, or the artist. It's uh, P. 
Keith Tomasi is the writer, and the artist on this is Francis Manipole. So, like, kind of like a dream team for me. So, well, I agree. I, I agree. I think this was uh, well, without a doubt, not. I think I know that this was uh, my favorite of the of the one shots that we've read so far. Um, there were a few reasons why. First of all, I mean, it was just a great story. Tomasi once again has hit a home run, as he seems to do almost every time he comes up to the plate. And uh, and again, Manipal's art, as it always is, is fantastic throughout this whole thing. Um, one of the things I really liked about the story, though, was that it really seems even more than the others to have a great blend between telling the um, sort of the origin story, um, but also telling the story of what's happening now with that yes, character. The way the the pacing in this was really yeah, the good. pacing yeah. was great. Some of the others focused a lot on the origin story, and we only got a little bit of what's going on now. Others we got just kind of a snippet of an origin story, and we got more of the current storyline. But this one one had a just a great balance between those two so you really felt uh like you really knew this character and also that you really knew how this character fit into the overall story um and it also seemed like maybe this particular character has uh a slightly different agenda than some of the others kind of has his own agenda it's going to be kind of interesting to see how that works out yeah so. Yeah, he at least personality-wise, he he fit in a lot differently than the rest of them did. He yeah. he seemed like he had a, a, a mission that he was going on as he's well, going through it. You know, like you said in the pitch, he get the part of part of the story in this is Ares creates this helmet or has this helmet made that amplifies his power, right. and it takes like most of the Justice League I think dies trying to take him out, and in doing so it looks like Diana's been killed and cause the opening page is Bruce holding Diana. Like you're like, wah. And, um, <laughs> it yeah. actually says that too. <laughs> <laughs> but it looks like they managed to knock the helmet off of him. And so the whole thing is Bruce grabbing the helmet being like, well, I've been able to like walk the line. I can, I can use the helmet to do what's necessary, but still be merciful and not, you know, cross that line and, and, get as close as I need to with it and then that we, doesn't go so well yeah we no. quickly see what happens when he does put it on it's interesting um, because when he puts the helmet on or when he's getting ready to put it on, he basically says, hey, I'm going to be the new god of war. And yeah. I'm, I am going to you know, make war better than what it's ever been. I'm going to make it more merciful, more just. Um, and it's an interesting contrast because, uh, of course, in the New 52, towards the end, we had this story of Diana being the, god, the goddess of war, the god of war. And uh, so that, to me, was kind of an interesting contrast, how she handled being the one in charge of war and then how Bruce handles being the one in charge of war, being the god of war. And of course, uh, he handles it quite differently. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like that was one thing that, you know, like as he talks about like kind of giving equal footing to everybody, you know, like that that was his going to be his mission, but then he just uh he goes the other way with it. <laughs> who who would have thought like a control freak like Bruce? Who would have thought? God. And that you know, and that's a good point because I was thinking, you know, looking at the poster that Roger has up of the the Dark Knight Rise, you know, it's got all the the Dark Knights on there, and I was like, well, why Ares? Why wouldn't they just do okay? They did a gender swap with with the Aquaman one, why wouldn't they just do something similar to like that? And then when he's talking about being at war with crime and, you know, at war with the darkness. And then I was, it made a lot of, it made a lot of sense after reading it. 
that was it was it was a good choice to go that route. I think the thing I like about this one too is that this particular character's uh, motivation, I think, is one of the ones that's easiest to relate to, because you hear about some horrible things that happen, and, and you just say, "Man, those people just deserve to really get it," you know. And it's really easy to be essentially merciless in certain situations. And so the fact that uh, that he puts the helmet on and says, "Wait a second, I've been way too naive. I've been too easy on these people. I need to." You know, bring I need to crack down. down. Yeah, bring the hammer down. Exactly. It, the or maybe, sword? or yes. maybe even punish them. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I think my, you know, one of the things that that I've started to a question that I've started to ask of myself over the last couple of weeks is: Is there going to be any of these guys that switch sides? Mm. You know, any of the any of the Dark Knights. I mean, they are all they're all Bruce Wayne, and they've all shown some elements of heroism in their past yeah, life. Yeah, there's a little bit of altruism in each of them. There's traces of it, a, except for maybe the Batman who laughs. He's just <laughs> sick. Yeah. But I, I'm curious if if that's going to be part of how the story unfolds. You know, what does this say about Bruce in the end? Or do, do these guys just say stay dark through the end, or could any of them change? Because I kind of felt like this guy, even, even though he's kind of corrupted by the helmet, He's you not know, a bad person. He could, I mean, he could turn. Mm-hmm. Well, in that and the one, same, and the same with Red Death, with mm-hmm. with Barry Allen being the voice of reason with him, I could see him maybe maybe turning. Well, you see a little bit too when he first um, goes to Langley and he's you know breaking in there. Um, what does he do? I mean, he does. Yes, he does go to that first floor and kills people there. But one of the things he says is, "Oh, you know, these are warriors. They they deserve a, a, a quick, quick, merciful death. death." And so that's what I'm going to give them. Uh, you know, so to a certain extent, he expresses a little bit of admiration for them uh, rather than just, "Oh, these are people that are in my way. I need to just get rid of." Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, so does Zod though. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's, yeah, that's... In this, we get a tease for a title that's coming after, that's spinning out of Dark Knights also, uh, which was called Dark Matter. I don't know if they're still calling it Dark Matter, like the Dark Matter line. or No, they're not. They changed change. the it's name. It's a new, the new age of DC heroes is what it's called. So I don't know if Dark Matter was just the code name until they were set on like a proper title treatment or branding of that, but I thought maybe they'd keep it for some titles and then switch over for others. But anyway, um, in the war room, cause you have general lane, you have Steve Trevor, you have Amanda Waller, which they're pretty, they're pretty well known, but then you have father time, which is yeah. the little girl with the mask. Yeah. That right? was, that from was shade. Yeah. Um, and then you have bones, right. Who's from the DEO. And then you've got, um, this Colonel Jonas and she's going to be, in the damage title that Tony Daniel and um, Robert Venditti are doing. She's okay. the handler. And the thing that she's talking about, let me send in Elvis, that's their code name for Ethan Avery, who's the guy that he's a soldier. The whole premise with damages is he turns into that monster for one hour. And hmm. so his job is to get in and do damage for oh, that nice. one hour while he's there. So that's why she's saying, let me send in Elvis. So that's a little like tease as to what's coming out in December with that title. So that's really cool. I dug that. And I do want to say of uh, of all the uh, dark Batman that we've seen, I think this one actually has the coolest costume. I yeah. really like the costume. Yeah. It's so tough because they're all so cool. They, they are, are all so cool. metal. Yeah, they are metal. <laughs> I'm, I'm a sucker for the drown. I think that looks yes. great. Of course, yeah. it, was, it was a little bit weaker on, on story, but... 
This is one thing that I completely disagree with you, Roger. I love the drowned one. Yeah, I think that one. I, yeah, that one. That one that. along with Dawnbreaker might be my favorite. Dawnbreaker one. was just yeah. all kinds of just freaking metal. Man. Yeah, exactly. Um, but and the other thing here is like every single cover on these, Fabok has killed. Yep. Like every single cover has been awesome. So especially this one. But I, man, I'm inclined to agree with Larry. Like I really dig the the armor. I mean, it is it, he is a dark knight, and he's the one that actually looks like a knight. So, um, but man, I can't wait for the Devastator next week. That's well, I think going cool. into yeah. it, I mean, m- most everybody that's coming to the shop, I, I would say the uh, the plurality at least has they've been looking most forward to this issue, mm-hmm. and it, it it doesn't disappoint. Yeah, no. not at all. So, do we want to rate it? Do you have anything else? Ready to rate it? Go ahead, Larry. I'm going to give it a five. Yeah. Five stars for me. Nick. Four and a half. Four and a half. Five for me. Yep. So, all right. So, Roger, are you doing indie? Is that what you're doing? Yes, you are. Was I? Yeah. 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 (laughs) (laughs) Would you like to read it real quick? (laughs) Let me take a look at that. Let me see that while you're at it. Yeah. Um, Lady Mechanica, Clockwork Assassin, uh, number three, uh, written by um, Jenny Chen. Uh, Joe Bennett's. Well, Joe Benitez is the M. artist. M.M. M. Chen. And writer. M.M. Chen. M.M. M.M. Chen. Yeah, they. I think they just have him credited with his first initials. Okay. Um, yeah, we get to find out uh, who was responsible for unleashing the Clockwork Assassin on the scientists um and it's not who you think it is that's it (laughs) (laughs) fantastic pitch that was right to the point i tell you if i heard that pitch i would be (coughs) just jumping in my car to get down to the shop as fast as i could to get that issue get that issue yes well in in fairness joe benitez will do that for me yeah his art does that for me yeah so but i you know i think we reviewed every issue of this story pretty sure we have we've definitely reviewed the first one it's only a three-part story arc so yeah um i think we did all all three issues of this um you have lady mechanica and and her detective friend basically going on a mission to find out who has you know who who could have been responsible for unleashing the the clockwork assassin and they narrow it down to being, you know, someone who would have had access to this uh, technology that would reflect ether waves. That they assumed that that might be the way that they were having the assassin hone in on their victims, and they were correct. And the art's great. The art's yeah. amazing. It really is. I love the borders on each of the on the panels. I'm wondering. That's got to be like some sort of Photoshop like thing that he has saved. Like if, cause can you imagine him taking the time to draw all of those? It's yeah. It's like, gorgeous. My, yeah. My guess is that he probably, he probably did a couple dozen. Yeah. You know, yeah. of straight lines and then corners and stuff like that stuff that he could, he drop could, in. Yeah. Cause man. And piece together. Cause to do that for every panel would take an extraordinary amount of time. If, I mean, well, I mean, he had to have done it at some points, which even so, kudos, you know. But man, I, I love Joe Benitez's work. I dug the heck out of this this little mini series that he did. I'm waiting for him to do like a longer one, like he did with the first 
two story arcs like uh, uh, Mystery of the Mechanical Corpse and Tablet of Destinies because a lot of them have been like these two and three part things, which have been cool because yeah. it allows them to get them out on time and we, we get a lot more Lady Mechanica than if he was trying to sustain like a monthly schedule. My my biggest beef with that look, I I love the stories, and I I don't mind the you know the two issue miniseries, the three issue miniseries, but when they come out in trade, they're so thin. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, I mean they're not priced that high, but on the shelf they're easily missed. Yeah, and and I just don't think I really wish he would have packaged uh, combined them the Lost Boy uh, Lost Boys, the Lost West, Boys Abbey. Of West Abbey and. Uh, La Dama de la Muerte into one book and have a five issue graphic novel. Yeah. Now my, um, I really liked the story and, uh, I mean, I've, I've read Lady Mechanica off and on. One of the things I really liked about it was that even though this was the final issue reading it, I felt like I knew the entire story Yeah. that I, I, although yes, I had obviously missed things. Um, it was like, I wasn't lost. I knew what was going on. Uh, loved the art, uh, always uh, like the art in these the one beef i had with it was that in the first half of the book it was extremely wordy yeah mm-hmm. i remember looking at some panels where there was a tiny little bit of art on the sides and the right. whole thing was filled with word balloons and it's not that i have anything against reading but it was like it got so wordy sometimes and for the first half of the story it was just people standing there talking um, without really much happening uh, that I began to feel like, okay, something needs to actually happen at some point. And, and it did, uh, although it took a while to get there. And so that would be my one beef. This it is was the wordiest, wordy at the beginning. This is the wordiest story arc he's done. Mm-hmm. Most of them are pretty well balanced with, you know, the action and, and you know, the dialogue and exposition and all that. This one was, I, it could have been that they just had a lot that they had to try to cram into these three issues. Um, I could easily see this possibly stretching to four, but you'd have like a full issue of just talking before all the action hit. Right. You know? Um, but yeah, I, I can understand that for sure. Um, cause even once you get to the end, I mean, there's a lot of dialogue. Calm down, dude. I'm sitting right here. Like this is not anywhere different than I normally sit. You'll hear it. <laughs> will I? So, what did you think, Nick? I I lo- I thoroughly enjoyed it. This would be one that I would go back um, and read because I hadn't read anything, any of them so far, and I was really uh, steampunk is not my thing by any stretch of the imagination, but it's you know like I think a lot of times the problem when people do stories like this is that they have like a weird or interesting idea but they don't follow up with it in an interesting story whatsoever but this this one actually kept me uh you know I read it very enjoyably yeah it was it was good it was a good story yeah I th- I, I did too I think that the purpose of this story was to kind of introduce a new villain yeah you know, yeah, absolutely. That and they, that and they a did future at the end. And it, nemesis. You know, yes. like I think we got a, we obviously have somebody working behind the scenes, but we also have the possibility of you know the enemy you know that masterminded all of these assassinations could come right. back. Right. Well, and I think they made it pretty clear on the last page yeah. that yeah. Uh, <laughs> that this person is definitely coming back. Yeah. 
even though it says the end, we uh, just by the look on the uh, individual's face, we can tell this is not the end. Yeah, she's, yeah. she's still got stuff to do. <laughs> well, Which, the nice thing was is that you, you introduce a villain. You actually, yeah, he actually gave her the origin story right up front. It's not in a flashback or anything or saying, you know, I mean, it was within this story that you get, you so, get her origin. Good storytelling. Because really exactly. if I have one complaint, it's that we haven't had some, like, some like full on nemesis type villains come into this story yet. I mean, there was a couple in the first story arc um, with Blackpool and I can't remember the, the girl's name that, that she fought, but we haven't seen them since that first story arc and every story, which is fine. I, I like getting a lot of the new stuff in every story arc, but it'd be nice for lady Mechanica to have some antithesis of her the way that, because a lot of times I tell people when they ask me what it's about, I'm like, well, it's, it's kind of it's a steampunk title the main character is kind of a cross between uh indiana jones and sherlock holmes so i'd like to see like some sort of moriarty to lady mechanica you know something like that and i'm really itching for them to do a story that gives you a little more about her past yep it's been a while something where where she's investigating something you know, that's uh, directly attributable to her, what she is, her creation. Yeah. So. Yeah. It, are, are they always so Blade Runner-y? What do you mean? As far as like uh, robot wise, robot sentience, so those sort of things. This is the first one where we have like a full on clockwork yeah. enemy, like steampunk. They're, the steampunk elements are there in all of the other ones. Like there's other characters that mm-hmm. have steampunk limbs or um, excuse me steampunk um mechanical limbs mechanical limbs and things like that um the first story arc was called the mystery of the mechanical corpse and so there was a, a girl that very similar that turned up dead that looked like lady mechanica where she had her limbs exchanged for these mechanical mm-hmm. um you know arms and legs and things like that that she was investigating so it's that's the nature of the world that they're in she lives in mechanica city so um yeah, it's 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 heavy on the steampunk. Yeah, it because it, it, it really it really started to make me think of a steampunky version of a Blade Runner sort yeah. of replicants kind of. This is the first one where that really came into play. So, but it's cool. Yeah, we don't rate it. Um, I'd give it four stars. Um, I, I hope uh, I'm with you, Larry. I hope that in the future. Um, maybe the writer can boil down their thoughts a little bit better so that it's not as verbose, but the, I mean, the art is, is straight up five, Yeah. but I would, I would give the overall book a four. There is another art or uh, not artist, excuse me. (coughs) It's not another artist. Only one artist for this. Um, another writer that is going to be doing a story with Joe Benitez, uh, in the new year because they're, they're going on their winter break. So they'll be out until the new year. And I can't. It says in the back who the uh, who the writer is that he's going to be working with, but that's coming in the new year. So cool. sorry, Nick. Uh, four point five. I nice. would definitely pick this one up for sure. I'm right there too. Like just small nitpicks. You know, it, I get it. It is a it, a lot more reading than a typical mecha- Lady Mechanica story, but I, I I have a hard time knocking this book at all. So I really do. I lo- I love Lady Mechanica. So. So how many stars was that? Oh, sorry. 4.5. Okay. 
<laughs> same as same as Nick. I'm gonna go with Roger on this one. Give it four stars. I agree. The art is fantastic. Um, just the uh, the verbosity was a little bit. Uh, I had to knock it down a little bit more than I might normally for that. But um, uh, but definitely a very strong book. I'd highly recommend it. Uh, four stars. And again, um, it made me feel like I really need to go back and read issues one and two because uh, I'm sure I'd enjoy them. All right. So. Nick drew the short stick this week. <laughs> He's got Oh, talk about your spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I, I would like to just point out that, that I, I think out of all here, Johnny and I are the only Marvel fanboys in this room. And <laughs> I, am, I am currently wearing a DC shirt. That's not true. I... I was just a little quicker to recognize <laughs> <laughs> that this shit was sacred. <laughs> I happened to be on deck. <laughs> he saw the iceberg coming. He's you like, really did. <laughs> All right. That being said, Captain Marvel, number 125, uh, the first issue in Marvel's Legacy reboot. Uh, is it actual story arc or is it just a reboot? I don't even know. Uh, Dark o it's Dark Origins Part 1, the written by Margaret Stoll, art by Michelle Bandini, colors by Eric Arseniga. I got, I'm, I'm sure I got that wrong. Arseniga. Um, we open up with Carol Danvers, the uh, original uh, Alpha Flight spaceship uh, that she has been residing on has been destroyed. Uh, Black Panther shows up in a very uh, holographic fashion to state that Alpha Flight ain't going to be coming back anytime soon. So it is up to the members to get some good, nice R&R, but Carol can't stand for that. She has to keep working. So we find her trying to find a missing friend named Bean. And uh, very creative on yes, that nickname. Very, very creative. And then there are some Cree. Uh, well, it looks it seems like Cree uh, mischief makers in the background while all of this is going. And a vial of Carol Danvers' blood is missing. The end. I like how like that's just like it was just the the vial of blood was just sitting unattended out in the open. Like here's this powered individual. We're just gonna. We're going to leave that out in the open for anybody to just walk by and take. Exactly. And write her name real big on and it. Yeah, so everybody it. can know. Everybody is so okay with one guy immediately coming in saying, you know what, guys? You, you guys really need to just shut it down. Okay? I'm yeah. I'm clearly an official person in yeah. all of this situation. So let's just, <sighs> just stop arguing with me. Shut it down. By the way, I'm going to take some blood. Yeah. <laughs> 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 but... Like, I, really? I, 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 I don't know. Okay, wait. Okay, wait. Before, I, I before this, go ahead, before go this ahead. goes into like where I think it's gonna. Well, well, I know it's gonna go. Um, positives. The art's really good. Yeah, arts. So, art's so fantastic. yeah. Let me let me just point that I'm not. I have no intention on bashing uh, this whatsoever. I just. When I was young, Alpha Flight was an X was a branch of the X Men, not some branch of Sword or uh, any anything like that. It wasn't a cosmic uh, sort of defense layer. It was Puck. It was Sasquatch. 
Yeah. Okay. Another Star, reason. Right? Yeah. North another Star. reason why Marvel is so awesome. They take mythological characters and put them into their lore. Yeah, put, uh, put them in spandex. Yeah, and put them in spandex. Exactly. But it, it's it's not the Alpha Flight that I remember. And uh, their Canadian Alpha Flight was always Canadian, correct? Yeah. When did they become so Americanized? I don't know. They're going I, that, to baseball games and stuff like I've, that. I've never understood why they decided to put Carol in charge of Alpha Flight and do what, what they're doing. I, I've never understood That's some executives. You know what would be great? Carol. Yeah. Alpha Flight. Let's put those two things together. Exactly. And I... Well, it's like she's got to be... They think she's got to be captain of something. Yeah. You know? Yeah, exactly. So... so I, don't I, I don't know. There, so... There, there is some cool stuff. There's some, there's some cool. Uh, I do like the artist's facial expressions, like this panel with Carol saying, "Like okay, yeah," and just how unamused she is. Like that's pretty great. I, I dig the. I mean, the humor is right up my alley. It's, it's lighthearted. It's uh, campy. It's, it's what something that I would enjoy were it in a different book. But there's just not enough to. I don't know. There, first off, there's not. First a lot. of all, what is the story? It, it, that's a great question. There's no exposition. There's this there's is, clearly it clearly uh, leads off of some other uh, <coughs> story that they have done in maybe Secret Wars. Maybe uh, they War definitely II. talk about uh, Secret Empire a lot. That is something that's referenced throughout the entire issue. But it's there's somebody working in the in the wings to try to get something we never really get the full sort of uh um idea of what that is well and they take carol's blood yes I mean, to me that was like it's like okay well you might have an interesting story to tell it's, it has nothing to do with this issue outside of that one panel Right. Somebody wants her blood, and they're going to do something. <laughs> they left with sitting it. on the freaking <laughs> counter. <laughs> yeah. How do you leave someone like this? But that goes that that same sentiment goes to my my overall problem with this story because outside of it being her in charge of Alpha Flight, um, I at the end of the day, I mean, I understand their comics, but I like my comics to make sense. Yeah. And. <laughs> Uh, and, and this rarely makes sense from beginning to end. And there's there's this point where, you know, Carol goes, you know, the, the the guy who stole her blood gets into, you know, this like top of the line crew spaceship and goes flying off to some singularity. Yeah, the singularity. And Carol's like, other. you know, 10 minutes before, which was literally like half a page before, Carol tasks Puck and, and some other character to get this space shuttle up to speed you know like hey we're gonna need a ship so can you guys fix this and he's like are you serious you know it's a brick you know you want me to and that was you know the page before and then carol's like how's that ship coming and it's it's, done it's like yeah warp nine and you know it's got a full armament of lasers and all this yeah, stuff exactly. that they did literally yeah. in, in you know in in you know conceivably like an hour of time on on the planet. They are I'm like, superheroes. Yeah, no, <laughs> still, still not believable. Yeah, it's. So, I mean, it, it, I think that that I think that it, it speaks to the the problem that Marvel's currently having is that they are. 
they have been scrambling with so many ideas that they're trying to just they're at the point where they're just throwing it whatever whatever at the wall to try to see if something sticks yeah. and they are it is so clustered and it's just it's so it's not good like part of me feels bad for some of these writers that got to go in yeah. and marvel's like do this and they're like uh, do you realize what you're asking? Exactly. Yeah, like with like, the the Marvel the Marvel Legacy, like the the first issue. I think that that is the perfect example of what the the disparity between what DC is doing right and what Marvel is doing wrong. I mean, because if you look at what metal is, it is a globe trot. I mean, it starts out as a globe trotting mystery. There's this this secret that's been around for hundreds of thousands of years and it's just now being discovered by the one person who discovers everything and i am still in i'm infatuated with it it's 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 interesting it's well written uh, it's not even necessarily treading any new grounds but I still find myself wanting to, you know, every time they come out with a new one, I was like, oh, I got to pick that up now. But with, with Legacy, it was, okay, they're clearly trying to build something. They're clearly trying to build up Ghost Rider. They're true. I mean, just all of these things. And, you know, I think Roger, we talked about this, that they, you know, they're, they're setting up shop. They're trying to set up shop in the new Marvel uh, universe. The new, the, you know, whatever for the fourth time now. Oh, no, we're on the sixth? Six? Yeah. I six even... and five years? Is that where we're at? Um, yeah, six and six years. Six and yeah. six years? And they started with Marvel now in 2011. Yeah, and <sighs> there wasn't even anything. It, it was the this big culminating story that was supposed to connect and everything was just like a footnote in it. It's and and from from a writer that uh, in my opinion is the only person who's producing quality work out of Marvel, Jason Aaron. He's he's a phenomenal writer, but then you can but tell just that he's wonder, got too many ideas being thrown at him. Yeah, and I just wonder if like that's the case with a lot of the other writers, as they're just yeah. literally being handicapped going into the game because Marvel executive, whatever Marvel editorial, I don't know where, whatever upper level, upper management of Marvel is that's clearly making a lot of the decisions where this place is going, is saying, we want you to do this. And you got a lot of writers and creators that want to play in this sandbox. So they're saying, okay, my idea is this. They're like, yeah, that's great, but we need you to do this also. Yeah. And it's just this weird mashed up version of of. I don't know, just crap. Yeah, at this well, point, the the one that I keep thinking of is is Jim Starlin. You know, they out of some miracle convinced Jim Starlin to come back after all you know all of the chaos that went through with his career or his Money. time at Marvel, and he he was confused because they had sent a, a you know like a, a a memo throughout all the the writing staff that they couldn't use Pip, do not use Pip the troll in any any book. And he's sitting there, and I was like, "Well, I've been doing these Thanos versus things. I doing. I've been having Adam Warlock. Of course, he's going to show up and all this stuff. And just being really taken back by that. And I'm sure that a lot of these people that don't have the same sort of pull that Starlin does uh, sign up to write books like Captain Marvel, and then end up being pigeonholed into the same sort of uh, problems. Well." <clears throat> 
when I started to read this book, I decided to take a different approach because being a, a known DC fanboy, I thought, you know what, I don't want to just come in here and just rag on Marvel like, you know, um, every week. And, uh, you know, so I'm going to approach this in a positive way. So I read it, and um, and I will say this. Okay, the art's good. Um, the story wasn't terrible. Um, and uh, I'm, so I'm going to start with the positive here. You know, you always start with the positive before you hit him with the negative. You know, you're fired. Um, <laughs> and I will say this. I did think that the three-page uh, recap of her origin was really well done. I mean, in just three pages, you pretty much find out what you need to know about this character uh, to be interested in here and to read her story. But... But, but yeah. then we get to the things <laughs> you that way too big. <laughs> yeah, I, well, we've we've addressed this on on yeah. a couple of other podcasts. So. Yeah, because they've been doing. Robbie Thomas has been doing the 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 recap. Or not? Yeah. Know, has recap, he done all of them? He's done so far. All the ones that I've read have been wow. Robbie Thomas. So. Okay. Well, I do have some nitpicks, and then a big one that's not so nitpicky. Um, first of all, and you've mentioned this before, why is the three-page origin at the end instead of at the beginning? Um, I mean, even if for some reason they sat around and decided, you know what, we don't want to turn off our longtime readers by putting something they already know at the beginning. They have this whole paragraph about her on the very first page. Why not in their reference? And by the way, if you want to read more about her origin, go to the back, the last three pages. But no, we read through this whole thing, and at the end, we get the origins. That's a little bit of a nitpick. Um, the, one of my nitpicks as well was I looked at this book. It's a $3.99 book. Lady Mechanica is a $3.99 book. Um, Dark Knight's Metal Batman, The Merciless, also a $3.99 book. And yet, the cover for Lady Mechanica is a nice, sturdy cover. Cover for Batman, The Merciless, feels like cardboard. Yeah. And then I pick and up. And chromium. The, yes. Yeah. And I pick up the Captain Marvel cover, and I have used toilet paper that <laughs> actually has more of uh, more strength than this. <laughs> So uh, so that was a bit of a turnoff. It's like for three ninety nine, you can't give me something that has a little bit of uh, substance to it. But you in your value yeah, stamp, it, dang it, <laughs> oh, oh, oh yes, we forgot like about Joel. the stamp. We're on the same page. I love this. Johnny is is dying back there. Level. <laughs> um, another nitpick. I love how much we're on the same page yeah. tonight, Nick. It's amazing. It is another nitpick, which has been mentioned, is I hate <laughs> I hate the way. That Marvel gets to number one twenty-five. I mean, okay. Oh, I didn't even realize it until you were telling me before the show how they got to this number with this Captain Marvel title. I was like, yes. what? I mean, okay. When DC went to their legacy numbering, and I, I, I was determined I wasn't going to compare this to DC, and I just couldn't <laughs> avoid it. I'm sorry, Rogers. DC went to legacy numbering on two books, Detective and Action, and that makes sense. Detective Comics has been around continuously published since 1937. The same title since 1937. For 80 years, it's been called Detective Comics. And the only thing that DC did was they basically took the New 52 issues and just added them to the numbering that where it had stopped before the New 52, which makes perfect sense. Same thing with Action. Action's been around since 1938. It has been called Action Comics the whole time for the last 79 years. And again, all DC did was add the Action issues from the New 52 to the old numbering to get to where they're at. So those numbers make sense. But no, Marvel has got to pull in 
half a dozen different series from the last 40 years to somehow come up with this number 125. I mean, DC, Detective and Action, these are historic comics. These are important comics in the history of comic books. So um, doing the legacy numbering for them, I think, makes a lot of sense. But um, doing it for Captain Marvel by dragging in all of these other titles, you know, he said, oh, we're going to drag in the 23 issues from 1977, Rogers Collection, by the way. Uh, we're going to then drag in issues that were that came up 30 years later from 2006. Then we're going to bring in the mighty Captain Marvel, and some were called Captain Marvel, and some were called Ms. Marvel, and we're going to just put these together and come up with 125. I was half expecting them to uh, come up with a title that says something like, oh, and then we had our six issue miniseries Captain Marvel takes a dump at outer space uh, you know whatever it might be to get to our 125 because we were just determined to get there so that was a uh, another nitpick but my biggest problem with this story is that and again I'm going to compare it to DC I apologize but um one of the things about this story is that it clearly, and Nick's already mentioned this, it clearly picks up where something else has left off. We're in the middle of a story. This is the first issue of this legacy series, yet we're clearly in the middle of a story that we know nothing about. And so as you're reading it, although it's not badly written, it really never makes any sense. And so if I'm a new reader coming in, um, the DC Rebirth books, Although they kept the history of the characters, they didn't start off with the middle of a storyline where a new reader couldn't pick up. Um, like we were, like Jonathan and I were talking about before the show, Superman Reborn. They didn't do that right away. If they had done the Superman Reborn storyline right away, it would not have made sense to new readers because they wouldn't have had a chance to figure out what this character is all about, and all of a sudden we're dragging in all this other stuff. But that's exactly what they did here. So as I'm reading this, I'm just saying okay the story's okay but it doesn't really make any sense i don't know where it's come from i don't know where it's going and so ultimately there's nothing here that makes me think hey i really need to be on this book and um and e even if my pull list wasn't as big as it already is <laughs> um, you know there's any even if i wanted to read marvel there's nothing here that would make me say this is the book i need to be reading i'd read and say whatever it was okay i'll pass well and at the same time with because it's this issue um if somebody picked this up and they did like it and they go you know what there's some interesting stuff going on here but i don't understand how we got to this point i want to get issue 124 to see if i can <laughs> yeah. go back yeah it's absolutely. not going to happen because you come in at 125 and you're absolutely right larry it comes in in the middle of the story there's obviously a lot of water under that bridge that if some people were interested in it you know and they tried to go back. Good luck. Good luck figuring out exactly. Where, you know. So, so I, I as as so. Well, believe it or not, I am a Marvel fanboy, like huge Marvel fanboy. Whenever I come on here, I feel like you know I'm the only <laughs> the only one. But uh, I, I, I've had some DC. I feel like as far as exposition goes, I feel like they're worse because they, you know, like when I was reading Rebirth. I I can't remember the last <laughs> Jonathan's time. Jonathan's eyes yeah. got really wide. <laughs> like, I what? <laughs> I can't remember the last time I read a Flash comic. And the idea I I don't 
I don't know who Wally West was. I didn't I didn't mm. know who Wally West was. And then they're talking about him being lost in the time stream. And, and you know, you, you're supposed to... I, I could tell that that was supposed to be a big part. It was that, you know, I'm supposed to be feeling this, this fact that Barry Allen is in touch with Wally West. But I... It happened somewhere else. I have Wally no West idea. was the Flash for like 30 years. Oh, yeah, but I was never... I was never a Flash guy. I was yeah. never... Like I, like I said, I was a big Marvel guy. Did you you watch I, Justice League when you were a kid? The cartoon? Not really, no. Okay, because that was Wally West also. Yeah, I didn't... I'm trying to think, like... For for me, it was always... Um, well, no, of course now I can't think of his name. Um, it was always uh, Barry Allen and then uh, Hat Boy. With the... Uh, he wears the Boy. tin hat. Jay Garrett. Jay oh, Garrett, Jay yes. Garrett. Yeah. Jay Garrett. Yeah, those were the two... Those were the only two okay. that I really knew. And then... Uh, and then especially, what was the other one that I was reading that I was, I was very confused. Oh, and then, uh, well, going back, I don't know. Did you guys talk about spoiler alert for Oz effect? I haven't read that one yet. Okay. Today's? Well, no, it, do, it doesn't matter. I mean, at least past, what was it? Part one? The, Are you talking about the reveal re- of who Oz is? Yes. Yeah, we, we came back that? to that. We did not on, on the night that it was released. But I think we came back and talked about that a little bit. Okay. Well, spoiler alert. One, two, three. Yeah. Uh, Mr. Oz, Dr. Doctor Oz. Mr. Oz. Mr. Mr. Oz is uh, Jor-El. What? Yes, yeah, Superman's father. When I read that, I, not absolutely nothing. I was like, I, I feel like that's been done. Before. How did you feel? I, I did too. I was I was not a fan of the reveal. I was not. I was like, oh man, I was hoping for something better than that. Did you read the the next yeah, issue? Yeah, I read. I've read part what three is the last one that came out. Um, mm-hmm. four came out today. Okay, yeah, I haven't read four yet, but part three I read up to three. That one's no, been a roller coaster. Part coast. three, isn't it? No, it's part no, four. That's four. Is this four? Yes. Four. That's that story. I haven't read four. It's a bit of a roller coaster for me. I I, I was a little underwhelmed with the first issue. I saw a lot of hope with the second issue, and I was like, "Wow, I'm really on board." And then when I found out it's just another story about someone trying to turn John against Dad, I'm like, "Oh, story was just done with Manchester Black." I don't. Yeah, you know, exactly. Where you going? I do want to read this. I do want to see where it goes, but um, it's I, it's, it's been the up and down same. For me. It's like again. They can all, I mean, they're really, really, really trying to pull the Watchmen stuff. I mean, and there is a lot of really cool stuff that they can do with it. But doing something like just pulling Jor-El out, you know, that that was not surprising whatsoever. I mean, and I didn't feel anything. Yeah, and but somebody's using him. Yeah. Somebody's using Especially him. Especially if you read this next suits. one, Jor-El's whole mindset is... I'm trying to save you all because everything on this planet is doomed. You have no clue what's coming. I, but going back to it, it just it doesn't seem like. I mean, with, at least with like, well, what I love about metal is is you know I I joke around with my wife uh, that you know I'm so metal that like if you cut me I don't bleed because <laughs> there's no there's there's no there's no blood down there it's just metal. Uh, and you know, seeing the shirt, and they've got you know, there's tour dates on the back. I mean, it's clearly a wink at the you know the metal community, 
and they do all these. Th- I mean, it's it's literally a reflection of the you know the, uh, everybody up there, and, and it's such a cool idea. And but with with some of the you know some of the rebirth stuff, it's it's it, it doesn't do it for me. You know, oh, like so sad. Okay. I know, like, because I, as, as I, you know, I've told Roger, Watchmen's one of my favorite comics ever. I mean, it's one of the best written, not only comics, but just things I've ever read, for sure. There are layers and layers and layers inside of it. And I just imagine that Alan Moore is just a part of his part. Did you died. read the six issue preview? No. You should. Because I. And it's not I, hard to make Alan Moore's heart die. Yeah. He hates I, anything that's he, not his own. Exactly. And the fact that they, I I mean, it I, that, that ties in more to just the industry, too. I mean, that's part of why he's dropped out of the yeah. whole, you know, the big major stuff is because they can take his entire work like that and then put it into I'd be curious to see what you think after you read the six issue I've been avoiding it I've been avoiding it for the entire time it's been out because and what's what's his face did um the guy who did the that Joker and Lex Luthor um yeah yeah Brian Azzarello who's amazing I love Brian Azzarello but I he had uh Alan Moore had such a specific vision with what he was doing with Watchmen that I do not think that getting it outside into a bullpen like Marvel and DC does does something, a work like that, justice. And that's why I'm so hesitant to see it be put into the DC universe. Because what they're doing with it so far, I mean, I love the idea that, the, you know, Manhattan is literally ripping into an, an entirely different universe and meddling around in it and the idea that uh ozymandias is behind all of this you know talking in his ear trying to work all this stuff out that's a cool idea but how does that play into the original watchmen and how i mean is it it's it's a cool idea but it doesn't necessarily pay tribute to one of the greatest comics ever written i think you i think it will the six issue, yes, six page, because yeah. okay. oh my Wait, god, page, what, which one I'm thinking? Uh, so which one? Which one are you referring to? Because I'm thinking the first the six pages before Watchmen. No, no, it's the they released the first six pages of Doomsday Clock. It's on okay. Our, I have not Facebook time. Okay, right? I'll have to check that out because I it, haven't. I haven't read it. Jeff Johns does such a good you. F- he he does such a good job cloning Alan Moore's voice. In just those six pages, first Johnny's page. nodding, so I'm 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 inclined to it's, believe him. It's amazingly well done. Okay. Okay. So yeah, we've spent a lot of time on this. Yeah. Sorry. No, so, it's all good. No, it's okay. It's okay because I'm gonna I'm gonna go back to Captain Marvel with Larry. Okay. Okay. After, after this <laughs> after this after this brief rant of mine, because I want to return to the sure. Marvel rant. My you you've 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 stretched the limits of my short term memory. <laughs> <laughs> I just want I, I had I came across some other news talking about Marvel's concoction of numbers. Okay. I, I've got what Teresa Teresa came uh to me this afternoon. She's doing the order for uh for this month and she goes Tells uh Tells of Suspense and I'm like, Yeah. And she says, They're making it a legacy book. I'm like, Okay. 
And she says, it's a five-issue miniseries <laughs> that starts at issue 100. <laughs> <laughs> and I, uh, I, was, I was stunned. I was, uh, you know. Sorry, I win. No, <laughs> but no, I no, I yeah, I don't. Again, I despite me being a Marvel fanboy, Marvel has I don't pick up anything. But I think I literally, uh, Jason Aaron's Thor, um, Bendis's Jessica Jones, and Jerry Dugan's Deadpool. Yeah, that's well. It. Here's here's my thing with Marvel because I am. I look, I, I I'm a Marvel guy. Uh, I always have been. Um, Ultimately, I always will be. But what I'm not a fan is, is of what the company's doing to the characters and the universe that I love. The, the company is on the wrong track. And all of, for you guys out there, I don't, you know, I mean, look, I'm, and I'm right now I'm loving what DC's doing. And it's really endearing me to their characters. And I love it. And, you know, and, and, and you know, in a year or two, maybe Marvel will, you know, be writing the same caliber of stories and pulling, and I, 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 will, I will be right at the the front of that line, you know, cheering them on when when that comes around. But right now, it's not the case. Drop the mic. Get out Any anything <laughs> else about Captain Marvel? After talking about DC for about ten minutes, yeah, yeah. It's, <laughs> it's a largely forgettable book. Yes, so I'm going to give it a two. I'm uh, I'm right behind him. Two, two, and a two from me. Ah. So well then, not making an ASCP ASC certified certified. <laughs> certified <laughs> tofu. It takes it a deuce, is what it makes it. <laughs> certified tofu. Yeah. All right. Uh, what would you guys rather have reviewed, and in place of what? Uh, Amazing Spider-Man. I really liked the last issue with with uh, Pete and Bobby. And oh, that's right. I haven't gotten around to reading that one yet. Um, I would. I would. I would drop Captain Marvel in a in a hot second yeah. for that book. I would agree with you on that. I um I mean I haven't read Amazing Spider Man, but you told me how uh, how good uh, the last issue was, and so it would have been interesting to have read uh, this issue uh, in place of Captain Marvel. But as far as the other two, uh, obviously I loved uh, Batman the Merciless, and uh, and I I liked Lady Mechanical a lot too. Really, both really strong books, so uh, definitely wouldn't want to replace either one of those. I I don't know enough Marvel stuff that I'd be willing to take a chance on. So <laughs> I'm I, I I'm fine with whatever. Yeah. I because I, I mean Jean Grey's out, Silver Surfer maybe Silver Surfer. Mm-hmm. Oh I love mm-hmm. yeah. Shout outs to my dad. Cause my dad's just my dad's is that the same favorite. creative team that it's been for the last couple of years? Yes. It's um Is it still is it, Slot? Is it still slot and uh Allred? Yes. Yes. Okay, so yeah, I've slot's I'd, been I'd, really good with, with I, Silver Surfer. I would re- yeah. want to read that. Uh, definitely, most definitely, uh, new Deadpool that just came out. That's uh, was Despicable Deadpool. I think it is. Was that any good? I, or, I mean, you just I am so as far as as writers go, I think Dugan gets Deadpool. I think that he's does he, he get does Deadpool the same way that Daniel Way got Deadpool? Better, I would say. Really? Better. Yes. I mean, so as as far as um, so uh, was it Kelly. Uh, yeah, Joe Kelly was, you know, by far my favorite uh, Deadpool writer. I think that he, he, uh, you know, there aren't a lot of times when I'm reading a comic that I'm uh, openly laughing, you know. Um, and I would, I would find there was a lot of really mellow humor, a lot of British sort of stuff. And then, but 
but Deadpool was still a complex character. Dugan has found that balance as well, and especially paying homage to the sort of 90s stuff that's been going on. It's good. Especially this one that just started in the Legacy is really good. Cool. I, I would disagree on the uh, the not openly laughing or reading a comic. Whenever I read a Marvel comic, I openly laugh <laughs> because I'm like, wow, they, somebody somebody really thought this was good? Wow, that's pretty funny. Uh, oh, oh well. man, just drop that mic already. Somebody get some burn ointment. Yeah. <laughs> some salve over here. Um, that's freaking great. That was great. All right. Um, Larry, you want to give us some trivia? <coughs> sure. Um, first of all, I uh, just wanted to point out that tonight uh, you're actually getting double Douglas with the uh, <coughs> with me being on the podcast and also Double Douglas. I like it. Multiversity University. So I apologize to those for whom uh, that's going to be a little bit grating. Uh, but um, I decided since you had to put up with me uh, in two different segments already that I might as well just shamelessly plug uh, <laughs> Multiversity University yeah. by asking trivia from episodes that have been aired already so um and this i decided to be merciful unlike batman uh, <laughs> by only asking questions about ones that have been on the uh that have been on the end of the podcast so far i did not ask questions from uh, any of the episodes that have only become available so far to people who were willing to pony up a few bucks and uh, so for all you cheapskates out there you yeah, should have heard see? these by now all right, so we'll uh, we'll start with some easy ones. Now, all of these answers have appeared on a Multiversity University segment, so we'll start with an easy one. Uh, which comic book, and in what year was this comic book released? Uh, which comic book was responsible for beginning the hobby of comic collecting? Was it Obadiah Obuk? The Adventures of Adventures Obadiah Obuk. Yeah. That it was started the other one. comic books, but it didn't start. Uh, it was the it other did one. not start the hobby of comic collecting. The Yellow Kid, but it was something in the Yellow Kid. Um, that didn't start comic collecting either. Uh, Is it something funnies? I'm so no. doomed. Oh, you guys are making this way too hard. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I knew I, I I'm completely stuck. I have no. You, you gotta clue. go. You gotta Action go. Comics. More no closer. Oh, fantasy. Uh, what was it? Remember, the question was which comic book started comic collecting God as a hobby? It. Uh, it's that um, uh, Fantastic Four number one. Oh my goodness! <laughs> no, uh, <laughs> dang it! Oh, we hear from the Marvel fanboy. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give you a hint. It was actually a DC comic. Death of Superman. Oh my goodness! No. I don't know. Well, from the guy born in the nineties, uh, sure. What do yeah. you expect? New Fifty Two. I'm just throwing stuff out. <laughs> Wait, DC comic. It was. No, I should remember this. I should know this. I should know this without. It was fail. on the. It was on the first segment of Multiversity University. Oh God! Just go ahead and tell us how stupid we are, Larry. Showcase number four, nineteen fifty-six, because that was the one where DC brought back the Flash, and that. Got people interested in going back and getting the old comics from the 40s that had the original Flash stories in it. And so that's really where comic collecting, collecting. gets started. 1956? Yes, 1956. The more you know. that into my mind. Also, as you mentioned, started the, the comic that started the Silver Age as well. Okay. 
Um, I thought that was the easy one, so we may. I think our first answer to every other question is going to be open up. Open. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Which company, which played a very important role in the history of comic books, published Famous Funnies number one? Nope. Pep Comics. Pep Comics was a title, not actually a company. Okay. <laughs> I know. I'm trying. I know this answer. I'm I trying. Li- I have listened to all of these at least twice. You do know the answer, yes. Oh, the synapse just isn't connecting. <laughs> DC Comics. <laughs> yeah. DC, DC Comics did not exist yet yeah. when Famous Funnies Number 1 came out. Oh. Famous Funnies Number 1 came out in 1934. The first DC comic was published in 1935. Well, sort of. Actually published in December of 1934, but had a cover date of 1935. Okay, it was a company called Eastern Color. Eastern Color. Eastern Color, one of the most important uh, comic book publishing companies of the Platinum and even the Golden Age. It had a big influence on comic book history. Surprise, you are guys didn't on know curve, that. right? Yeah. Uh, definitely, yes. And for us, I think it's mandatory. Calculus base, you know, is zero approaches All right. infinity or whatever. Let's let's try this one. Or whatever. Okay, th- th- this is one you could actually guess on, and somebody might get it right. In the Adventures of Mister Obadiah Oldbuck, how many times does Mister Oldbuck attempt suicide? Four. Oh, very close. Ah, crap! Five. Five times. There Dang you it. go. <laughs> I knew Thanks. it. Four, five. <laughs> Thanks for pointing me in the right direction. <laughs> All I was right. going yes. to say, is that the price is right, man? <laughs> okay. All right. This one may be a little bit tougher. Oh, God. <laughs> I know. Just a little Wait, bit. Can we get Google handy real quick? I, I will tell you, this person has been mentioned on at least two of the segments. Um, who is considered the father of the modern comic strip? Uh, Same guy who wrote The Adventures of Mr. Obadiah Oldbuck. Oh, it's yeah. the... Was it... It's German, right? No. It's, well, Swiss. Swiss. But he has a German name. Although he wrote in French, so... Hey, ah! Uh, <laughs> I, <this one laughs> I know this! Werner? <laughs> Well, that's a German name, sure. <laughs> <laughs> Urkel grew. <laughs> what is it? What is it? It is Rudolf Tupfer. Tupfer, that's what it was. Ah. Um, can anybody tell me? <laughs> nope. <laughs> I'm just going to go out of limb right. and say nope. <laughs> can anybody tell me what year his first comic strip was published? 1932. Oh, my. Eight, eight, 18. Uh, 1832. <laughs> that's close. <laughs> That's where oh. I was going to go. 1832 was closer. Oh, 1837 was when the first version, the French version of The Adventures of Mr. Obadiah Oldbuck came out. Dang but he actually, <laughs> But he actually did publish um, some comic strips prior to that. Oh. 1833. 1833. Woo, there you go. Give, it, give me a point. Okay. <laughs> um, in what year was the term comic book first used to describe comic books? I'll give you a hint. It was during the Victorian age. Victorian age? Yes. Oh, oh man. God. 
Um, a lot of people think that because it appeared on the Yellow Kid and McFadden's flats um, on the back cover, that that was the first use of the term comic book. It actually had appeared before that. 1829? Uh, Victorian age actually doesn't start till 1837. 1837? Dang it! Pioneer age was 18 uh, before that, right? Pioneer age was before Ah, okay. No, it's later than that. 1848. <laughs> keep, keep going. <laughs> you're, you're narrowing in. 1872. Oh, no, you went too far. Went too 18, far. 1868. Uh, I went too far. Weird. The, 1852. What, just, Getting really close. 1853. Uh, go the other way. 1851. There you go. 1851. <laughs> Nailed it. It was, uh, it was in an advertisement by a company uh, called Fisher & Brother. It was a humor magazine publisher, and in an, in an advertisement advertising their comic books for sale they use the term comic book and that's okay. the first use of comic book that we know about uh there may have been an earlier one we haven't discovered yet but that's the earliest one we know about i would just point. like to say that that was first try okay <laughs> um okay johnny can edit out all yeah that. all of it I, I can tell you that i know for a fact matt matt if you were here you'd get this one right so what is significant about the name obadiah Oldbuck? There you yeah. go. The first use of alliteration. alliteration in comic books. In the first comic book as well, so it makes yeah. sense. All right. <laughs> I guess we're ready for the listener question. <gasps> okay. Um, I, I had thought this was going to be the hard one. You I know, didn't realize I ran the rest three, of it would be. over three miles today, and this was a lot harder <laughs> than that feeling of after three. I know. Okay. We've used up all of our brain power at <laughs> yeah. this point. You know. God. <laughs> All right, so here's the listener question. If you listen to um, some of the Multiversity University segments, it does appear on there. It actually appears in episode, I'll give you, even give you a hint, it appears in episode number three. Ooh. Okay. Um, which German literary figure convinced Rudolf Tupfer to publish his comic strips and graphic novels and so basically became the inspiration for comic books? So, again, which German literary figure convinced Rudolf Tupfer to publish his comic strips and graphic novels? There you go. If you know the answer to Larry's question or can find episode three of Multiversity University, send your response to contact at allstarcomicspodcast.com. You could win uh, either the graphic novel or comic books that we reviewed this week. Or if you have questions for Larry. Or if you have questions. Things you want to know more about. He's the guru. If you have questions, then uh, email those to Larry at allstarcomicspodcast.com. And I want to say once again, thank you, Bryce, for the emails that you sent. I really appreciated them, and uh, especially the one where you suggested the topic that I had a lot of fun with. Sweet. All right. Do we have our winners from last week? Yep, we do. So uh, the, the question was, what are the names of Odin's... Pet ravens. Mm. Hugging and Munning? Yeah, Munin? Hugging and Munin. Um, so, okay. And we had a lot of correct answers. Um, a, a few names that I haven't seen before. So, I, you know, for you new guys, you know, uh, you know, listen along with us and, and plan our games. I really appreciate it. It's it it makes me happy every time I see some so new we games some come new ones? up. Uh, Clay Privet, Earl Lloyd, um, uh, 
I know Heather. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Ryan Rivers. Okay, cool. You know, Thank you Ryan's guys for had, listening. Ryan's had a couple of correct responses, but I and I, I haven't I haven't shouted him out. But I appreciate you guys listening. Appreciate you playing along with us and sending in the answers. For last week, uh, the winner of the trade paperback is Bryce Smith. Nice, Great. congrats, Bryce. Uh, the winner of the comics, Ryan Rivers. Uh, Ryan, right. I will I will hit you up for uh, your address, and we'll get those shipped out to you. Um, so congratulations, guys. All right. So um, it's my job to pitch the graphic novel this week, uh, which is Clean Room Volume 1 by uh, Immaculate Conception by Gail Simone. And a new favorite artist of mine, John Davis Hunt, who is the artist on The Wildstorm and... I wasn't aware that he was on this volume until I opened it up, and I was like, oh, my God, I love this guy. Um, so I'm just going to use Roger's pitch. What if the Scientologists are right? God. And <laughs> Drop the mic. And it just it, – it, what if they're right, and it's super creepy. So, yeah. Larry, tell us why you wanted to review this book. <laughs> well, before I do, I do want to mention that I read an interview with Gail Simone um, – Right around the time that she was uh, first coming out with Clean Room, and that's exactly what she said inspired her. She thought, you know what? What if all this stuff is is right? And she decided to write kind of her own version of that. Uh, so it's interesting that you uh, that you mentioned that. Um, the reason I wanted to review this is because it's it's a comic that I've really enjoyed. Um, as I was telling Jonathan uh, yesterday, I think we were talking about this. Yeah. Um, like. Most comic book readers, I think, I tend to follow certain characters that I've got a history with or whose stories I enjoy and have enjoyed in the past. But past following particular characters, I tend to follow certain writers. Uh, there are some writers that I really like, and when I see their name on something, I have a tendency to be drawn to it. Uh, so, for example, if I read a solicit... Uh, that sounds really interesting, and then I see, oh, it's being written by, I don't know, pick a name out of the hat, Cullen Bunn. Um, then I'll usually say, you know what, I think I'll pass on that until somebody tells me it's really good. But, I feel so bad if he ever listens to an episode, <laughs> he's going to think, like, I hate him. He's probably, at, like, the nicest guy, and I just hate everything yeah, he Yeah, he is. Yeah, for those, uh, <laughs> yeah, if you, uh, what's the, any Impractical Joker fans out there, uh, the Impractical Jokers, uh, Q and Sal actually interviewed him. And, really? Yeah, yeah he is. Yeah, I, I do cool. want to say that he has, on occasion, written some things that were actually pretty decent. So I, I don't want to say everything he's written is bad. Yeah, I, but, I'm sorry. I don't mean to, to try to shoot you Right, down, no, it's fine. But the majority of what I've read from him has uh, not exactly appealed to me. Yep. But there are also certain writers that I might read a solicit for something coming out, and it's like, eh, that sounds so-so. I think I'll pass. But then I see, oh, wait a second. That's being written by Jeff Lemire. No, I'm going to I'm gonna pick that up. Oh, that be, that's being written by Rick Remender. Definitely going to get that. Um, and Gail Simone is one of those. I've really enjoyed her writing in the past. Um I know there's you know a lot of complaints uh, people had about the new 52, and I understand a lot of those. But Gail Simone's run on Batgirl in the new 52 was really one of the highlights of uh, of the new 52 for me. I, I thought it was really spectacular, um, and so I, I really enjoy Gail Simone's writing. So when I saw that she was writing this, I I thought, oh okay, I'm going to pick this up. And uh, I must say that I was very surprised by it. This is not the Gail Simone that I have ever read before. Uh, and, uh, and I think that's one of the reasons why I really kind of enjoyed it. It seemed like she was going in a different direction, trying something that she 
maybe hasn't done much of before, and and it just really worked for me. Uh, it was a really engaging story. I, I got really uh, into it, and uh, and that's it. I think the just the fact that it's a good story. And it was a way for her to, I think, stretch her creative muscles a little bit and go off in a little bit Which different direction. She does. Yes, absolutely. Yes. Um, but uh, other than that, I just think it's a really enjoyable story. Now, I do want to say that volume one, even though it contains six issues, is really a setup because you're getting a lot of uh, a lot of questions being thrown at you in in volume one. If you go start reading volume two and then volume three, a lot of those questions are actually answered. Um, now, there were 18 issues of Clean Room, although it was it was said to be season one, and it did end on a cliffhanger. So I'm assuming there's going to be a season two. It's been six months since an issue came out, and I'm hoping uh, that she's planning on continuing it because uh, uh, I really liked it. Yeah, I mean this is this is one that I um, I had no clue what it was going into it. I Roger gave me the pitch. That was the last thing I looked into it read it today having no idea what it was because i mean the, it, even roger's pitch didn't necessarily pull me into it but no. uh nice. blown away uh one thing that we uh the last time i was on what was it, the last time that we did i hate fairyland mm-hmm. yeah um that that we talked about was how hard it is to pull off a world you know, there is somebody's on. I mean, at least when when you're when you're working in the DC and Marvel worlds, you have a really established sort of uh, you know universe. But with something like this, you're you're coming up with everything, and there is so creepy. Uh, there's some elements of dark humor in it. It's every it, nothing really seems like it's been pulled from anything specific. It's it's amazing. Yeah, blown away. One of the things you did mention that I did want to say that I really like about this is I, I love the characters mm-hmm. and the way that uh, the different characters that she, that she has and the way that um, that she describes them, the way they come across because they're really interesting. For example, um, Chloe Pierce's neighbors, the Haverland brothers. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they <laughs> are just, I mean, when you talk about the humor, they are hilarious and, you know, and, and yet you really love these guys <laughs> yeah, because, exactly. you know, they're just like when Chloe tells them, you know, stay away from me, there's all this creepy stuff going on. They're like, well, ma'am, you're our neighbor. Neighbor, and around here we take, take care, care of our neighbors. Yeah, so. I mean it's like an yeah. entire. <laughs> if Lenny had a br- bunch of identical brothers for Lenny from Of Mice and Men, <laughs> and when she come, when Chloe comes home from Chicago to find them fixing her house because they've been beaten up in it and thrown through a window and stuff. I mean that that's a great scene for yeah. me. Uh, another one of the humorous ones, and, and I think she does a really good job of getting some really good humorous <laughs> moments into basically a very dark book, is when the surgeon comes to visit her, oh and she God. says, and then, the and, yeah, and oh, oh, let old Doc Potter take care of you, and she goes, well, I got to get some stuff out of the bathroom where, where the demon spark has <laughs> hidden all these knives, and when the surgeon comes in, and she runs these knives through his head and he's just still talking to her like he's old Doc Potter and then he looks in the mirror and says oh oh and with these knives and an eyeball on the end of one he goes oh I see what you mean and then all of a sudden right. we get the yeah. Rick demon coming yeah. Yeah. so that's how it's gonna be that, that's yeah. so that's how it is and Spark I mean like I just love I mean <laughs> it's Spark 
it, I get a very Monsters Inc. vibe from him. Like he did, he failed at being at being well, whatever he was, it is. Uh, he was exercised. Yeah. He took like almost all of Corinthians. Yeah, exactly. But I just don't have it in me anymore. <laughs> okay, I, I, I will tell you this about Spark. Spark comes back and becomes a major character. Um, uh, yes, I and, I'm so going to pick this up. And he. He has the humorous aspects, but he also becomes a much more serious character than he comes across in here. Well, so yeah, he, he's not just someone who comes in and out. He does come back. No, yeah, he did. I mean, he doesn't see. I, I, I don't see him as comic relief or anything like that. He de- just there's a, an interpretation because there's the panel where it's, uh, I was wearing a beautiful little innocent girl in Barcelona. <laughs> I made her say the <laughs> so most awful up. things. Six things. <laughs> that's, that's, in my, and that's in my mind how I imagined him doing it. <laughs> it and then whenever he possesses somebody, they look just the, the eyes yeah. are all going. Like it's like he just he can't he can't get that right. <laughs> like he can't. He's still figuring it out. It's awesome. Well, and that's I think part of the uh, you know maybe something that we didn't establish with this is that with the storyline you know dealing with you know you're dealing with ghosts and aliens and certain supernatural phenomena that actually really do exist in the real world and and the leader of this supposed you know cult-like group um, is it like a religion is it self-help guru like they kind of can actually see them yeah uh, she's developed a clean room where it's like a sanctuary to, uh, I don't know, almost. It's the only, yeah, the well, only thing, it seemed like what the only place where she they, would be yeah, safe to kind of carry yeah. out experiments and, and, um, maybe like try and discover what, yeah, yeah, what they were up to. Almost like a clean room. well actually of course and a lot of the story of volume one is these demons trying to get into the clean room because they can't get in right they can't get in unless she makes the mistake of inviting into the clean room somebody who's been possessed by one of them right um and so this is what they've been trying to do they've been trying to get into the clean room they even say to her didn't didn't it occur to you that we would now think of this as a challenge yeah. and right. that we would try to get right. in there? And I guess we haven't done a very good job of saying what the story is, yeah. so I appreciate yeah. you bringing that up. <laughs> but that is the story that there are these beings that have it in for humanity, basically. And Astrid Mueller, um, who, that was can, my favorite character who, can see, yeah. who can see these demons, has formed this self-help slash religious group, which on the surface um, is kind of this Scientology type group but in what's going what's really going on in the background is that they're essentially battling these beings for the future of humanity and I love how in the beginning you know once you get past like kind of her origin story they almost like with Chloe they almost she almost thinks Astrid is the villain of this story yes, yes. I, was, I was just you know? about to say he, uh, Gail did a, a tremendous job of really like you think playing, you're getting yeah exactly this the, villain you origin it. story from the beginning but then as you get into it no she's trying to save everybody yeah it's now, good writing good writing yeah. for sure now you do find out they um she does return to her origin story in future um, issues uh and you find out more you find out spoilers um you find out that these demons have been watching her from the beginning 
because they knew that she had the ability to develop the ability to actually see them. And I had a feeling because after the accident, when she's laying in bed, she's like, where's dad? And well, dad's standing right next to you. Why is dad's Why is face, face covered, covered in snakes? snakes? Yes. I was like, well, yeah. this is demented. <laughs> and that was in like, and especially too, because that was because the first, the first issue of this did not do it for me. I was confused. Uh, there was there. I mean, there was some. There was some cool stuff, but for the most part, it was it wasn't great. I mean, like first off, if she's gonna drown herself, why she's gonna wear underwear and not a top? <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, because they, then like, the Hamilton <laughs> brothers wouldn't have been able to say, "We're sorry, we saw your bosom, Miss." Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but but then having having gone, uh, you know, continued to read it and then gone back and I was like, "Oh, okay, so those are the those are the demons that that she's referring <laughs> to." There, you know, like that's that's part of it, and there must be one particular demon. Yeah, because the driver of that truck was possessed, and it was basically a hit job. Yeah, it's it's now I'm kind of I'm kind of on the opposite end where you're at. Like I like like because I was I was confused as heck with the first couple pages too, but once I started getting further into it, it made me like wait, and I kept going back. Yeah, to the first, yes, absolutely. and I was like, oh my god, this is woven very tightly. This is cool. Yeah. So once I got all the way through, and then I started analyzing more and more and more, I really appreciated the way she started it. And that's and that to me. Because I did the same exact thing. Like, I was going back. I was referring, well, you know, like, because they had the, uh, was it Michael, the the mangled up body in there. And mm. then, like, oh, okay, you know, like, that that was the guy from earlier. And it, it, to me, that is the mark of a good story is that uh, a lot of times, you know, there will be these really intricate, what clearly well laid out uh, stories and ideas, and it. But I don't, I don't care. I just don't have any interest in going back. But this is not only is it well, you know, well laid out, well paced. But I, I wanted to go back. I wanted to understand. I wanted to. I want to read more. I'm so into this. I can't tell you how many times I went back to the first couple pages and anal- after yeah, reading more about absolutely. Astrid in the future and kept going back and like looking at certain little details that I might have missed in those panels in the beginning. And you so. and she does go back there again in future issues and goes back and and again ex- looks at her family and looks at things leading up to the accident, things happen right before. Uh, so you get really a, a much fuller cool. picture and, and Astrid becomes a more complex and interesting character as you go. Because she's yeah. already complex and interesting. Yeah, yeah I mean, she, she starts out as a villain, but then you're like, well, maybe she's not actually so not such a bad person. And she did also have one of those comic moments I liked when, uh, you know, kind of towards the end where she's talking to Chloe and, and says, well, Chloe, do you need a hug? And, and Chloe's like, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, I'd like to just, Killian, would you yeah, hug? Yeah, I don't actually do, do that. that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was a great. And there was another one where she's like, you know, do you need like a grief uh, counseling seminar? Yeah, I yeah. can get you a discount. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was some good stuff. And real quick, like I got it just because I, I love his work. John Davis Hunt. Like, I've been loving everything he does on Wildstorm lately, but seeing how creepy this guy gets with some of the stuff yeah. that 
like Gail it's, Simone was putting on the page, I was just like, oh my gosh. And especially because, I mean, there's so much wood. With, with, I, I don't even know who this guy is. I don't know who that is. I'm either. not sure. And, and you know, like does he come back. He does. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So like that's something that's like you know you could do as descriptive a, a narrative as you want, but I mean that's something that's going to come out of the artist's head eventually. Now, not, one thing we should point out: we've been using the term demons. That the demons that she's envisioning in here are actual physical beings. They're not you know right. sort of supernatural floating around. Because uh, one of the things that happens is that she is a attempting to develop and may have developed a weapon that can actually blow them out of the sky because part of the idea again spoiler is that they um is that they have an actual physical location like a city where they live that's up above. In, uh, up yeah. above us somewhere in the sky out in space or something like that and she's developing a way to essentially blow that out of the sky and right. it just uh, especially like one one of the things too that um, was the whole part with um, one of her uh, rooks? The yeah. the part when she's going through uh, to try to you know get the demon. I basically just exercising the demon out of uh, one of her associates, and just the you know I mean I don't I don't know about you guys, but I've definitely had that moment where you know you see the lady walk in the room or something like that, and you get that. That crisp, I mean, and just the the way it's drawn, it's, you know, you're supposed to feel that sort of, uh, that that is a, a special moment in that, that guy's, <laughs> in that guy's life, followed by his, his worst brother. Moment. <laughs> yeah, followed by his absolute worst moment as his eyes and mouth and those ears are bleeding. But then I love the way that Astrid comes across as so calculating in that because it's yeah. like the whole idea, yeah. hey, I don't pick my rooks because, the, you know, they're invulnerability. Invulnerability. <laughs> I pick them because there's something on them I can use if I need yeah. to. Yeah. Because of their weakness or whatever. Yes. Yeah, I yeah. dug the heck out of that. I, I love the little chess analogy that she played throughout this and then yes. it comes oh, back yeah. around at the end and, mm -hmm. and you're like, oh, nice. That's nice why, touch. yeah, because they try to make you think like that's the Chloe like getting an aha moment on Astrid and it's like no we're playing a game that you don't even understand yet yeah yeah so. and it's it's yeah especially going back you know talking about going back when it goes uh when he uh or I'm sorry when she meets Stanley uh and <laughs> Anika so and then weird. you know she talks about <laughs> you know she has the guy strip and then the lady's you know super self-conscious about the scar and then it's like oh well that's clearly some you know, moment that she would use the same way that she used it on him to try to uh, exercise the demon while they're, you know, in the clean. Should she need to. Yeah, should she need to, exactly. So, yeah. Dug it. Roger, it. you got any other volumes? Yeah, I know. Yeah. I would uh, absolutely well, pick up I've got, uh I've got a copy of two and three. Could you find out if yeah. they're all together? I will. That'd be awesome. Yeah, I, I don't want to wait. I'm scooping it. I know. Um, <laughs> I figured you would, but yeah. I, I want. I would think them. at this point they would. Yeah. So I'll I'll look that up. Cool. Uh, yeah. Oh, that was another thing that I wrote down too. That would be the only way that I would read this is if it were in a trade. I would probably be frustrated as all get out if I had read this issue by issue. Larry's got the whole stack. 
Yeah, have you been reading it issue by issue? I've been reading it issue by issue. I think for me it was – I think the first six issues were a little bit confusing in terms of what the story actually was and where they were going with this. But uh, Gail Simone's writing was good enough that it it kept me – you know, she kept pulling me in. I was like, well, I still wanted to read and find out. And then as you get into that second volume with about issue number seven – stuff really begins to come together and you begin to see how all this stuff fits in. You begin to see, like I said, the Astrid Mueller's earlier history and some of the things that play into what's going on now. You find out more about um, about Chloe's fiance and, you know, a bunch of things like that. So so things really begin to tie in. And she she does have a very well planned out, very tightly woven story. Uh, so um, I, I suspect, I don't know this for sure, that those first 18 issues that have come out so far, that she had those planned out really well before she started this because everything ties together so well. Yeah. And, you know, like that was what I was thinking because um, when uh, Chuck Palahniuk did Fight Club 2, I picked that up issue by issue, and that was a huge mistake that's one that just needs to be sat and read all in one sitting mm-hmm. in, instead. I picked it up that. issue by issue too. I enjoyed it while it was out, but I could see wanting to, to get yeah. it all in it, one it shot. Because, you know, like uh, every single time I found myself like, like what what happened last issue? Mainly they, because they he relied heavily on the influence of the movie yeah, and the visuals exactly. from the style of the movie. So that kind of really kind of took it out of like because the fight club was obviously a prose novel first right right so i could see like yeah that would be really frustrating yeah and and that i got the same sort of vibe when i read claim room like i was that was uh, uh, the same sort of had there been like an omnibus i would have i would have sat and read that all night if there was sure. yeah if, they, if there i mean uh, luckily i had you know we all had the the benefit or at least the three of us the benefit of reading this as a graphic novel and i enjoyed it but if there was if there was anything that would have kept me going issue to issue, it would have been the art mm-hmm. number yeah. one. I mean, the art's great, and um, uh, Gail's character development. I mean, and, yeah. and just yeah. and not just character development too, but character creation. I mean, she you know she's got a dozen at least really unique characters in here who are great on their own. And, mm-hmm. you know, spearheaded by a couple of main characters. Um, I, I mean, I, f- I find a lot of her characters super compelling and, mm-hmm. and really easy to like. Even <laughs> even Spark. Yeah. Especially Spark. Um, and, and she writes in a way that the characters do each have their own voice. You yep. don't. It's yeah. not like some writers whose initials may or may not be CB, who, um, (laughs) where every character seems like they're the same character. Right. Just with a different appearance. But with this, her characters are all really unique. Yep. That's absolutely (laughs) true. Absolutely true. All right. Well, you want to rate it for us? Go ahead, Larry. I'm going to give it a five. It is a five for me. I, I, I really enjoyed it. Five for me. Five also. It was that good, and horror is not my thing, and this was so good. Oh, and it, and, and it was very appropriate that we read this with uh, metal tie-in, because, yeah. because that was pretty metal. Yeah, it was it was metal all the way. Yeah, I, I was hold. I, I found myself multiple times that was sneaking up, <laughs> sneaking up the horns as I was uh, reading it. Yeah. <laughs> all right, so we're gonna go over to some previews real quick uh, from Marvel Comics. We have a very small week. Is it a fifth Wednesday? 
No. no. Well, yeah. Well, yes, it is. But it's the first of five Wednesdays. Oh, that's it, what it is. It's also the Wednesday it's after an event day. Yeah. yeah. I mean, because we've got, it's like the Wednesdays after free comic book day are always light because everybody's trying to get out their product beforehand. Same thing now. We have Halloween Comic Fest coming up this Saturday. And so you have um, a Wednesday following an event day, and it's also the first of five Wednesdays. So it's it's a it's a super light week, but Got at it. least we have Devastator. Yes. All right, from Marvel Comics, we have Astonishing X-Men number five, Avengers number 673, Black Bolt number seven, Captain America number 695, and I believe that's what we're going to be reviewing from Marvel. Yeah, the start of uh, Mark, Mark Wade, Wade and Chris Sandy's run. Which I love how they conveniently started it at 695 so that it will hit 700 <laughs> in no time. Right. Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, number 146. Old Man Logan, number 30. Peter Parker, Spectacular Spider-Man, number 6. Spider-Man, number 234. And Star Wars, Darth Vader. From DC Comics, we have a slightly longer list. Batman, Con- or Batman. Bane Conquest, <laughs> number 7. Sorry. Uh, Batman number 34, Batman the Devastator number one, and that's what we're reviewing. (laughs) Metal. Um, Batman White Knight number two of eight, Black Lightning, Cold Dead Hands number one of six, Bombshells United number five, uh, Cyborg number 18, Dead Man number one of six, Deathstroke number 25, Green Arrow number 34, Green Lanterns number 34, Harley and Ivy meet Betty and Veronica number two of six. Um, <laughs> By the way, just, I do want to back up just a little bit. I want to point out, if nobody has seen it, that the Dead Man uh, number one does have a glow-in-the-dark cover. No way. Yeah, that's one of the variants, a glow-in-the-dark cover. Oh, I'm picking awesome. it up. Picking it up. Um, where did I leave off? Uh, Justice League number 32. That is going to be part two of Bats Out of Hell. If you guys did not pick up Flash this week, that's part one of Bats Out of Hell. Um Oh yeah, I will. Speaking of Flash, I will be picking. That. I read that was the first book I went home and read, and it's awesome. It is. It is um, really cool. And then we have Nightwing number thirty-two and Superman number thirty-four from Indie Comics. We have the shortest list. We have Paper Girls number seventeen. We have Robotech number four, and that's what we're reviewing. Yep. Uh, Shadow Batman number two of six and Walking Dead number one seventy-three. What are you guys reviewing for DC? Dude, the Devastator. Devastator. Yeah, Smart. like all the. You bad. guys have to at least some point do Harley and Ivy meet. Oh dear God! Oh my God! <laughs> I, yeah, I'm down. I love it. This is is awesome. it good? I if you, if you like the Archie stuff, it's I mean because they you know when if any if anybody's read uh, Archie meets the Punisher, I have not. That <laughs> sounds amazing. You are missing. <laughs> that sounds amazing. It's it's that same sort of uh, vibe. Okay. It's awesome. Uh, for graphic novels, we have ABS, Justice League World's Greatest Superheroes hardcover. What is ABS? Absolute. Oh, my God. I think I need that because it's an absolute. I don't even know what World's Greatest Superheroes is, but it's an absolute. <laughs> Justice League. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's absolute. Well, and it's Justice League. I, I need all the absolutes that DC puts out. Uh, Batman Detective Rebirth Deluxe Collection uh, hardcover book one. Uh, Deadpool World's Greatest Trade Paperback Volume 10 Secret Empire Justice League Trade Paperback Volume 4 The Endless Superman Action Comics Trade Paperback Volume 4 The New World The uh, Very DC Rebirth Holiday Trade Paperback And Walking Dead Omnibus Hardcover Volume 7 Oh crap I need that too <laughs> So and then what are we reviewing next week? 
Graphic Superman novels. Secret Identity. Oh my with God. Carlos Lopez. Carlos is back. Excellent. I should probably grab that tonight. Um, all right. And then, so for news, we don't have a whole lot. Justice League tickets went on sale tonight. So if you're reading this, you might have issues because apparently they've been having server problems clogging up the website. Um, the other pseudo comic book news, comic book movie is there is talks that Warner Brothers possibly found a director for a standalone Deathstroke movie. And it is Gareth Ed- Gareth Edvitt- Evans. And if you don't know that name, if you've ever seen the Kung Fu movie, The Raid Redemption. Yes. It's that guy. Dude. Like, that's exactly uh, my in, reaction. I'm in, I'm I was in, like, I'm oh, in. my God. My money now. That's perfect for Deathstroke. Yes. So, um, uh, go see The Raid, any of them. Yeah. If you haven't watched any of them, you want to see some of the most brutal fight scenes in any Kung Fu movie. Oh, they're I so know. good. I, that, that is one of maybe five, six movies that I've seen where people stood up and clapped in the middle of the movie. Because yeah, wow, in it's the, that yeah in the, a, the kitchen the the kitchen fight scene. Oh yeah, towards, I mean it's it's phenomenal, amazing choreography it's, is it, it out is of lauded like as one of the best like martial arts movies of all time. <laughs> Wholly agree with that. And so that's the director that that is possibly coming on board to do Deathstroke. So I was like, oh my god, yes, yeah. do something right. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, anyway, so uh, and then the other thing we wanted to give a shout out to the guy that sent you a message from Australia. Dang on it! I forgot about oh, it. James like, Mason. Is that, does that sound right? Mm, oh, yes. Oh, no, it sounds right. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, I got a um, uh, a message from a, a friend of ours and listener down under. Yeah. Which made yeah. my day, and uh, you know, really had. Uh, this is I, I hate. My Facebook messages come through in like three different places because I've got the the personal and the and the shop. But let me find this real quick. It was really nice to hear from him. Um, he had a lot of nice things to say, uh, and and I totally appreciated it for all you guys who reach out to us and and let us know that you like what we do. It means a lot. It uh, does because we we enjoy doing it. Yeah, we do. Uh, Get talk somebody. Okay, <laughs> uh, I'll I'll get the questions ready here. Uh, so Blake has a number of questions. So number one, having read the bulk of the tie-ins, who would you say is the most metal of them all when it comes to the Dark Knights? Uh, Dawnbreaker. Dawnbreaker's pretty freaking metal, but he he literally destroyed an entire planet and then just floated around in the remnants of it. That's pretty. Or no, you know what? I'm sorry. Scratch that. The drowned because she literally vomited up a zombie army. <laughs> that's, that's pretty metal. metal. That's pretty. That's metal. metal. Mine would be Red Death. Red Death's pretty. Like I, uh, God, I have such a hard time like just picking one. Yeah, because they're all freaking. I, lo- metal. I love them all. I I would go with one we read this week, Merciless. Merciless. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's next level metal when you can mix in like actual like swords and armor, flaming and swords, flaming flaming god killer sword. Exactly. And he he looks like he should be on the cover of a metal album. Yeah, yeah. Th- this is true. Yes, uh, by Frank Frazetta. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, mm-hmm. Frank Frazetta drums. Yes. That would be awesome. 
Uh, yeah, it's James Mason, uh, our our friend and listener down down under. Just a just quick excerpt from from what he messaged me. He says, "I'm pretty isolated in my love of comics here, although there are plenty of local Facebook communities uh, because I find that people are quick to take an arrogant I know more than you' stance." Or slanderous attack at positive comic discussions. Your podcast is neither arrogant or ne- negative. Um, I appreciate that. You know, I I know we we can rag on Marvel sometimes, and sometimes we can be you know harsh on books. But some books deserve to be, you know, <laughs> <laughs> space granola. And, yeah. And just to piggyback off of that, I, that's that's why I keep coming back. Is Roger and Teresa have just they're they're like family. You know, Amen. When you, when you talk about them, you know, when you hang out with them, uh, you know, growing up as a little kid, going to comic shops, it was always dealing with those uh, pompous. You know, you would think bases. Yes. Johnny's got his ears blown out. Uh, well, but you, you know, you would think that uh, out of all the stereotypes that nerds have of being the outsiders and you know yeah. the not cool people, that they would have some sort of uh, humility, but not not most of the time. But uh, Roger is one of the most down to earth people that I've ever met, and it's awesome. Thanks. Yeah, for sure. And totally thank you, agree, James. Appreciate it, man. Where are we? Uh, who is your most uh, Medal of All Metal. Dark Knights? Okay. That's question one from Blake. Yeah, that's right. Red Death. Red Death. Um, okay, number two. Miss Marvel versus Wonder Woman. Who wins in a fight and who is your favorite? I've got to go Wonder Woman, Diana all the way. Yeah. I Amazon, mean, she has a sword. Amazon warrior. I mean. Demigod. Captain Marvel is like energy absorption and projection. You know, that's cool and all, but. Diana would cut her in half. <laughs> yeah, I got to go with uh, with Diana as well. I mean, uh, you know, she's got got all of that uh, Greek god pantheon behind her. I mean, yeah. you know, yeah, no way. Uh, totally agree. Wonder Woman, for sure. All right. Uh, last one here, or number three, I should say. What comic writer would you put in the clean room? And God dang it, Blake. And Jonathan, when was the last time you actually cleaned your room? So, um, <laughs> yeah, the comic writer I think should go in the clean oh, room I... is Brian Bendis because he obviously has been possessed <laughs> in some way uh, since he used to be good, and then something has happened. So, uh, uh, so clearly he needs to go in there, and he needs to um, he needs to have his own white monkey experience. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Oh, that's a callback to the book. You guys should yeah. read it to understand. It. Yes, <laughs> so great. Um, I don't. You know what? I'm just gonna just ride the train all the way down. Colin Bunn. Just. <laughs> I don't. I don't know. That's a. That's a tough one. I don't know if I. I would. I would subject anybody specifically to that. I don't know. Oh yeah, go you, Roger. I I had to think about that one. Oh, I, I, well, I wouldn't do a writer necessarily. I would go with like Axel Alonso or Tom Brevoort. <laughs> <laughs> any, you know any, what? I any, like that answer better. Anybody in the upper echelons of Marvel. I like that. Yeah, answer I, I'm gonna mirror that one because I can't think of any writers. Yeah. And then. These are the best. I love these questions. Yeah. They're so good. Yeah. Um, and then Blake wants to know if we've seen it. Uh, what our thoughts on the new mutants trailer is love it 
you're down with it? I think we've we've talked about this multiple times, and and I I don't want to start another. 20 minute conversation yeah. but the the superhero movie the superhero genre in film television is go, the bubble's going to burst very soon uh, and I think that it is really 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 cool that the Fox stuff is taking it in a different direction I mean they did a straight up western with Old Man Logan yeah. they're actually doing a horror movie with New Mutants um, I'm I'm not as familiar with the uh Chris Claremont's New Mutants, but uh, so I, I don't I don't have an emotional attachment to it. But cool, do do something do horror horror do horror movie. Yeah, I'm with Absolutely. that. I mean, I, I think that one of the things that can stave off any any bubble bursting is diversity in the in the types of movies and storylines because yeah. comic stories are extremely diverse. Uh, and I think even even though the the overall genre is is superhero. Um, there's a lot you can do with that. Yeah, and, and they've already they've already shown that. So, haven't seen it. Can't comment. No worries. There you go. Um, Johnny, apparently <laughs> you're down. Yes. Hell yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Use Pink Floyd. Okay. The wall. Yes. Dave. Dave. Yeah. I got a couple questions from Dave. Uh, Dave Ramirez and and. Uh, Dave, what up? Yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> Dave, you asked some really deep questions that we get to at the end of the podcast, and I'm like, okay, all right. So, Johnny mentioned that uh, Don Breaker Batman should go to therapy to solve his problems. Would you all be interested in reading a miniseries in which heroes from DC, Marvel, wherever, actually went to therapy to talk about events that occurred uh, in their comics or major events? I'd want that done one of two ways: either like serious Vertigo book. And get all the darkness out, or absolute comedy. Yeah, yeah. Those, those are the two ones. The you know, I was just thinking because I mean, you know, when Marvel does like a like a silly what you know, well, it's what, like when they yeah. do damage control. Yeah, exactly. You know, Something or, uh, like that. No, you that could was, easily that's do DCs, right? Damage. No, control. damage control. Is damage Marvel's. control is Marvel. Yeah. DCs is Doom Patrol. N- no. No, damage control that, was the one that DC they pick up where that, they pick up all the trash oh. left by superheroes and. Yeah, fix the buildings and stuff like that. I didn't know DC had that. Maybe I do. I'm I not think so. Yeah, I can't remember. Anyway. Uh, Go ahead. Uh, well, yeah. It, it, if it was if it was played up, you could play it up as comedy. That would be great. Or even what was... Um, like, uh, It's a Bird. Did you ever finish It's a Bird? I am almost done with it. Did you finish It's a Bird? No. No? Okay. <laughs> uh, it's really that's, good. It's yeah, a completely it's, different look at the character of exactly, Superman. and and that's when you can really get to some really sort of um, really some truths. In Didn't there. I just order that? No, that was one I had. You and I up. talked about it um, on Saturday. Okay, I had mentioned that as a suggestion for a graphic novel review. It yeah. should be. That's absolutely. It it's because then uh, it'll actually force me to finish it and not like because I ordered it. There you go. Yeah, because I could see, I could see that being a really cool idea, especially uh, with a, a specific you know specific character. Any writer artist combos in mind? Well, first of all, I'm going to um, be the naysayer here and say no. I don't want to see that. And here's the reason because. 
I don't want um, Batman to be cured of all of his psychoses because then <laughs> then he would just be a regular guy and He'd be a billionaire uh, philanthropist. That? I mean, yeah, we don't uh, we don't want that. I don't want Superman cured of his uh, uh, inevitable optimism either. You know, just let him keep thinking that everything's going to be okay. I mean, these are they're uh, the things that make them mentally unstable or what make them the characters that they right. are. So I, I don't want their instabilities cured. The Thomas King and Mitch Jarrett's Mr. Miracle mm. is very much like what we're talking oh, about right that's, now. No, yeah, I, I actually, that's actually and, really yeah. that's And that's as far as, like, uh, for Batman, no. There's, yeah. like, if, if it's done with a certain character, like Mr. It, Miracle or something like that, for sure. That was my, that was my thought um, after what you said, Larry, because I think that if you if you did it with a principal, that would that would – that's tough, you know. Yes. That's that's hard yeah. to take back. But if you take a, you know, a B, C, D list character and go, you know, it's like if you, t- you know, a hero that has, you know, performance anxiety or whatever, <laughs> you know, yeah, I just I'm not Batman, you know. Yeah, I don't. And he's laying on a couch and going, you, you know, and you could do that both ways. I mean, you could you could be really funny with it, and you could really be dark and twisted and say that this is starting to get to this guy or whatever. I, that would be you'd be interesting. And I think that that was uh, with the especially with the metal stuff that that is another that is th- this is a great format for showing you know without having to have Bruce Wayne confront you know those sorts of things because we have just have a different alternative universe that's could clearly I mean I could see Batman doing all this stuff you know I'm going to take one thing back I think it would be interesting to see Deathstroke in therapy mm. yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that that could be fun I love that series right now what Christopher Priest is doing with him is oh, yeah. freaking it's great. great it is great and he's taking over Justice League so I can't wait to see oh, what he wow. does with that Justice should be League. really good <laughs> Johnny's not Johnny good. it's your first full real deal night I have to make it hard on you with the levels yours is the only knob I'm turning <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> for those of you that couldn't hear he said that he, my knob was the only one he was turning and that could be a euphemism the way I said that just now right. anyway I'm at 3% and okay. so we're going to have to run because I think Sorry. I have like two or three more questions second question from Dave Ramirez Y'all, I th- you know, I love you, you know, stroking my southern nerd bone like that. But y'all like uh, character development, right? Well, what would you like your favorite character to experience in order to provide more relatability and character development? I don't think we can answer that's that really on this deep. show. That's a lot of thoughts. Yeah, that's, that's one podcast right there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Outside of Carol being more... <laughs> Marvelous. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. So we're going to, yeah. Dave, we're, we're gonna let's talk about it when I see you one. again. But I wanted to get this last question. Nope, now I'm at 2%. Uh, from Bryce. Wait, yep, Bryce Smith. Um, he says, hi there, ASCB crew. Me and my Wednesday night crew was talking last week about the Dark Knights, DC Metal, and how each one embodies a heavy metal song. A lot of your songs for the characters ironically matched up. Uh, as y'all read, uh, do theme songs emerge for the character stories you're reading? Do they line up with any of these? Red Death, Ace of Spades from Motorhead. Jonathan, this is right up your alley. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the Merciless, Raining Blood from Slayer. That's pretty good. Uh, the Devastator, I'm Broken from Pantera. Pantera. Uh, Bat Who Laughs. Beautiful people. Oh my god! Marilyn Manson. Uh, <laughs> yeah, 
Except These are I some would, of the few that uh, matched up in my Wednesday night talk. I appreciate it as always. Y'all have a good week, Bryce. I would. I, I definitely would stick more though with Metallica on the Red Death. Ride the Lightning, man. Yeah, yeah, that's a good. Like one. that's that's, that's what I, I mean. Ace of Spades is great, but I think they even titled that book "Ride the Lightning," and I was like, Ooh! like <laughs> yeah. they're like matching it all up. So yeah, I, I I'm gonna stick with that one. But I think those are all great choices. I think. Um, Oh man, for for the Batman who laughs, there's so many different demented songs that yeah, you could. I, that's yeah, I, that's. that's I, I don't only, think it would be something like like beautiful I, people. Like yeah. I get the connection there, but man, there's it's there's too an, poppy. Yeah, there's, a, there's there's enough actual like just just brutal metal songs that would that would fit that. None of which I can recall at the moment, Bryce. So I am sorry. I'll have to get back think to about you. It. I would think definitely about it this week. I would definitely say for the Devastator would be something like Meshuggah. <laughs> just something like just something like really like in your face, brutal and yeah. Uh, but I mean, raining no, blood. yeah, raining blood is is pretty metal. It's too. pretty metal, Larry. I'm gonna give that some, that one some thought. So okay, yeah, that's yeah, that is iTunes. a good yeah. I know yes. that is a good question. I like that question, Bryce. Thank you. Yeah, we'll try to we'll try to remember that next week. Cool. Um, anything else? Anything? Okay. Uh, we didn't bother to check if we had any new reviews, so I'm just gonna skip it. We do uh, have we do have a new patron, Aaron Candelaria. Aaron, thank you so much, Aaron. I think it may have been actually before last Wednesday. Probably but I didn't see it until like uh, Thursday or so. He's so. been on the show already. Thank so, you, Aaron. Yeah. yeah, nice. Um, all right, cool. Well, as Roger said, if you guys like what you're hearing, you can get on the Patreon, uh, All Star Comics. Pod, or patreon.com slash all-star comics podcast get on as little as a dollar three dollar gets you the exclusive stuff excuse me um i forgot my whole ending spiel <laughs> <laughs> uh, if you want to give up with everything at horizon comics at horizon comics on twitter and instagram like horizon comics on facebook nick cantrell where can people talk to you if they want to talk to you about comics? Horizon Comics, for sure. Nice. <laughs> Every Wednesday. The Johnny2x4 on everything. I'm at St. Jonathan on Twitter and Instagram. I'm on Facebook. You can catch Larry at Costco having a hot dog on a <laughs> Sunday afternoon. Uh, no, I used to go on Saturdays. Now I go on Monday nights. Monday so, nights. Yeah. Oh, okay. Sorry. Changing up yeah. on everybody. So, guys, thank you for listening. Have a great week. Welcome to Multiversity University. This is Larry. Uh, tonight, we're going to begin talking about one of the most important ages in comic book history. In fact, I'm going to say it's the most important age in comic book history, and that's the Platinum Age. Now, the reason I say the Platinum Age is so important is because there were more developments in comic books during the Platinum Age than any other. The Platinum Age developed the way comic books look today. Uh, they also developed really the content of comic books. Everything that we think of as the modern comic book really begins in the Platinum Age. Now, one of the things that's confusing about the Platinum Age, though, is when does the Platinum Age actually begin? And there's a couple of different opinions. One opinion is that the Platinum Age begins in 1887. And it begins with a comic called The Brownies, their book, uh, written by a man named Palmer Cox. 
Now, it's true that the Brownies, their book was extremely influential in the Platinum Age, and it did have some Platinum Age characteristics. The main Platinum Age characteristic that it had was that the Brownies, which were little kind of like Keebler Elves type figures, although not as cute, that they were heavily marketed. The Brownies were not just a comic strip or something like that. The Brownies were characters that were used to sell all kinds of products, coffee and and a lot of other things. Um, And this is the first time you ever had something like that coming from a comic strip of any sort. Um, Go back to the Victorian age, the adventures of Mr. Obadiah Oldbuck, for example, and you don't have any Obadiah Oldbuck action figures being sold with with the sword and the noose attached so you can do your own suicide attempts or anything like that. But you begin to get, not action figures, but you begin to get in the Platinum Age the marketing of comic book characters. And so this is one of the characteristics, in fact, of the Platinum Age. And the Brownies certainly had that going for them. The problem with the Brownies, if you ever read the Brownies, their book, and this is also one that you can find online, you'll find that it is not even close to being a comic book. What it is, is a heavily illustrated series of prose stories. There are actually no comic strips in the Brownies, their book at all. Yes, there's a lot of drawings, and sometimes the the drawings take up most of the page, but it is in no way a comic book at all. So if the Brownies, their book is not a comic book, then what about what would be the first comic book of the Platinum Age? And to look at that, we need to skip ahead 10 years to The Yellow Kid in 1897. Now, The Yellow Kid was a comic strip that was written by a man named Richard Outcalt, who uh, had a number of other very successful comic strips. I do want to point out that The Yellow Kid uh, is not racist at all. A lot of people think that, oh, I bet The Yellow Kid had something to do with Asian people and it was really racist, and it wasn't. It was about this goofy-looking kid who just basically wore yellow all the time. And, um, and the kid was not, did not look Asian at all, so there was nothing racist about this particular comic strip. Well, the Yellow Kid was actually collected, the comic strip, a series of them were collected into a book that was put out called The Yellow Kid. And some people, in fact, if you look in the Overstreet Price Guide, it'll say The Yellow Kid is not a true comic book, but is put here for its historical importance. But I would actually dispute that. It's true that, like the Brownies, their book, The Yellow Kid has a series of illustrations with prose stories that go along with it, but it's much more of a comic book in its appearance because the illustrations take up the entire page and the prose part of the story is kind of uh, woven into the actual picture. So in that sense, it's a bit more like a comic book. The other thing about The Yellow Kid is it does have some parts of it that are sequential comic strips, where there are six panels on a page that are actually telling a story. So I think The Yellow Kid does have a a good claim to actually be a comic book. And so in my opinion, the, The Yellow Kid is actually where the Platinum Age begins. And so 1897, then, is where the Platinum Age actually starts. Now, I'm not trying to show any disrespect to the Brownies because they were very important. They were, in fact, very influential uh, 
for Richard Outcall. He even actually refers to the Brownies in some of the Yellow Kid comic strips. So the Brownies certainly did play a role. But if we're going to talk about when do comic books begin in the Platinum Age, then we have to look at the Yellow Kid in 1897. Now, one thing I do want to mention, we, t- we kind of tend to think that the Golden Age was when comic books really took off. But the truth is, it was really in the Platinum Age that they took off. Believe it or not, there were some comic books in the Platinum Age that sold as many as 4 million copies at a time when the population of the United States was actually only 100 million. Today, a comic book company would need to sell over 12 million copies of a particular issue in order to match that. So the Platinum Age was a time when comic books were developing. Uh, It was a time when comic books were extremely popular. And believe it or not, back then, in the late 19th and early 20th centuries, they were even more expensive than during the Victorian Age. Comic books were selling for 60 cents a piece. I didn't see comic books selling for 60 cents a piece until the 1980s. So, again, think about how expensive a comic book was back at that time compared to uh, what people made back in that day. And then you think about the fact that some of these sold 4 million copies. It's actually pretty amazing. So we'll continue our discussion about the Platinum Age next time, and I'll look forward to talking to you then.